0: Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show where we talk openly and honestly about the challenges we have all faced in our lives. I'm Fern Cotton and I want to say a huge thank you to everybody that started subscribing since the beginning of season three. As I said last week, this show really means a lot to me, and to hear how it's touching others is really, really great, so thank you. And thanks to the lady that was out jogging today and looked quite spooked as she ran past me and then stopped and said, I'm just listening to you right now, and she was listening to last week's Ruby Wax episode, thank you for that. Now today you are in for a treat as we meet Brit Award winner Sam Fender.
1: I genuinely, looking back with hindsight, I don't know how he saw this in that, because I wouldn't have saw that in me back then. But he did, and I'm uh, forever, forever grateful.
0: Not only is his music great, but he has a lot of stories about growing up and how it's affected his music. It's a real must-listen, I think. A little bit sweary, but we don't mind that too much. But do watch out for it if you don't like the swears. Right, shall we do this? Here's Sam Fender, on with the show. Sam, I'm so, so excited that, um, that I get to chat to you. Okay. Um likewise. Every now and again like someone amazing comes about in the music industry and it is rare. You know there's like a huge, you know, pool of people constantly releasing music, but every now and again someone comes along and it's it's you feel that excitement from the minute that you you hear their music and, and you see what they're about. And that is certainly what you're doing right now. And I've got to start by saying congratulations on your Brit award.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mad. Thank you so much.
0: I mean that must just be bizarre but.
1: I was I was saying like how the last sort of five months have just been completely mental like we, we did we released the first single like 18 months ago or whatever it was and then we've done about 240 odd shows probably but then in last year we did like 140 shows and I like completely burnt out at the end like yeah. I've never cancelled a show in my life and I had cancelled the one at the end of that two at the end of that year and went back home, and I was just like, I don't know if I can do that again. (laughs) It was just, like, so mental. But then we won that Brit, and it was like, oh, it makes sense now.
0: And even before that, you'd put the work, and you've been doing this for a long time now. But there must still be a moment of surrealism about it, because... As you say, you know, you get that Brit Award and all of a sudden the venues are bigger yeah, and you are so in demand. It must feel quite bonkers for you I just right haven't now. felt
1: like... I haven't felt right since since we, since we I was told that we won it. You know what I mean? Mm. I projectile vomited all over his garden, my manager's. No, you did not. My manager's got... So I found out in the taxi driving <laughs> past me high school where one teacher actually told us it was a stupid idea to be in a band. I
0: love those teachers. I've had one of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: He was like, oh, what are you going
0: to do? What going to do? Just be in a
1: band? <laughs> I just, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be in a band. in <laughs> And then yeah, and I was so punching the taxi. She's like, "Yeah, I won this Brit," and I was just like flipping off the school. And then, um, and then I went back to my managers, and then like did a load of drinks. In
0: yeah, good for you. We got to have that celebration. Of nice. What from booze or excitement? From both? booze
1: and excitement, yeah. and and like the cheese board because it was Christmas <laughs> time. <thing.
0: laughs> and with alcohol, it's, it's not a good curdling. whiskey and cheese
1: is not a good mix.
0: Oh, that is <laughs> it's a, curdling. It's a <laughs>
1: It's a curdler that one. Yeah, I was bad.
0: So your first EP, which mm. is magnificent, Thank you me. are of course writing it like you said, those songs are for you. They mean something yes. to you. They're about your life experience. Yes. But now you've had a little bit of feedback and you know what people think and you've yes. seen people's opinions. How do you stop that from changing how you write? Going on to I know you've done the first album now, but going forward, how do you still write just for you? Is is that something you've thought about much?
1: I think I might need to take a couple of weeks before I have a proper stab at recording everything and things like that, I think, uh, and then just detach from things for a bit because everything's so constant at the moment. It's all manic, and I think um, if I went straight into the studio after after all the background noise is still ringing in my head, I think I'd, I'd potentially, like, you know, cock it up. But, yeah, I think I'm just going to give myself a little bit of space after we come back from all this tour and stuff then, and then get back in and... And get recording. I've got, um, a few, got a few songs already anyway, so.
0: Good. So, how, how yeah. have you managed to, you know, because you seem like an incredibly grounded person and you're. Try. <laughs> no, but you and you know, I know that your your motherland of North Shields is very important to you and it's kind of very you grounding. Get if you, if you get lynched if you're lost. You get There yeah. you go. That's how you stay grounded. But are there any sort of important things you need to do to kind of not get carried away with the craziness of what's ensuing around you right now? Um,
1: Just see my mum, I think for a cup of tea with her. What I love about my mum is I ring her up and I go, Mum, we're going on Jimmy Kimmel on the TV in America. And she goes, oh, that's lovely. She goes, your cousin rang the other day. <laughs> and uh, it's his birthday so I remember I ring Matty for his birthday and I go okay mum brilliant it's just, it's, and it's wonderful like, brilliant. it's exactly what I need everybody else goes oh my god you know what I mean? And then you then you start going oh my god I mean mum just always like she's dead buzzing but I think she gets finds it so overwhelming that she just palms it off
0: I mean yeah. my mum is exactly the same yeah. I remember telling my mum when I'd got the Radio 1 gig to take mm. over from Joe Wiley's show, because yeah. there was the big shift around at Radio 1 at the time, and I hadn't told her for three months, I'd kept it a secret, I was like massively excited to tell her, and I rang her up, and she said, oh, okay, well I'm just at the gardening centre with Mariam, so Gosh. let me call you back later, and I was Gosh. like, I've waited three months to tell, to you, tell that, you that, yeah. but it, but it's good, that's it how we will click back always to that sense of reality, Yeah, 100%, it's
1: good. 100%.
0: And also, that's the good bit, the normal bit. Like the yeah. rest of it's fun, but it is also it's, not real. It makes
1: it. Like, mm. To be honest, it made me quite down a lot mm. of all the mad stuff. Like I, I'll come away from it and be and feel really quite like, like I think it's because it's 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 not all the excitement as exciting as it is. It's not of substance. It's not like a. It's not like a. Let's say like I spending time with your family is like a really really wonderful rewarding thing or doing something good is a rewarding thing. But then, like, being on the Brits, surrounded by a bunch of famous people talking smack to Jack Whitehall, like, it's fun, <laughs> but it's, like, it, it, it's not, like, you know what I mean?
0: It's not nurturing in yeah, real. Yeah. I know what you it, mean. It doesn't, it
1: doesn't make us feel warm inside. So yeah, like, yeah. It just makes us feel mental.
0: Yeah, but that's really good that, again, you've recognised that yeah. early and not you know, got carried away with it at this point because you you just, you'll stay how you are forever now. That's where your sort of, your baseline is. I
1: stopped the drink, I stopped drinking for like, I'm saying that as if I had some sort of problem, I'm fine. But I'd (laughs) I'd stopped drinking uh, kind of halfway through recording the album because I felt mad. I felt like I was going crackers and I felt like I wasn't dealing with what was going on. And I was like, maybe it's the booze that's making me feel like this. I cut the booze out and a month later I was like, Fuck, it's not the booze that's making me feel like yeah. this. It's like it's just life. Like yeah. this is just manic. It is completely manic. So And you're so, going through a yeah. huge
0: change in life, you know, to kind of go from having this amazing passion but then to the world yeah. loving what that is. That's a huge yeah. transition to to make.
1: My friend Joey's just joined the band. He was friends with us in college, so I've got two really close mates, like from that's from home. So nice. Like my my guitarist, we were best mates since we we're thirteen. We used to egg the co-op together, and to, like <laughs> I used to steal Kinder Maxis from the shop in, in my in my coats because we got these little tiny chocolate bars. I'd buy one and then take fifty and put them inside my coat and then drop them out on the floor. That was my. You have to of... go
0: and rep- now. They know you're making cash. You got to go and put them back. that's one stop. You've managed to find fight some... the
1: corporations via stealing Kinder Maxis There now. you go. But, right. not... but and Joey's joined, and he, he was like a friend from college. So it's so it was the first time we played as a five piece last night so it's a bigger sound and that reminded us because obviously I spent two and a half whatever months out just recording my album and reading all the rubbish online Uh well, majority of it positive like yeah, 9%, yeah. 9% but still kind of you know it's quite a vacuous you know, place to be and you can kind of end up having your own head blown up you know and yeah. sitting there going Oh good so it was just lush to actually go out do my job last night and be like reminded of what I'm doing this for and mm. like and seeing a room full of people singing your songs like Absolutely smashed! Like they've come out on their night out, you know, away from and they their know jobs. The
0: words, yeah. Oh, I wasn't. That must be weird. And, and,
1: and you know, I love as well. Our audiences are so. It's like a festival audience. It's incredible. Like the the the, the range of people that we're appealing to, because the front of the front of the audience is always like young lasses, and then it's like behind that, like behind the teenagers, there's like the twenties to thirties, and then as you further go back, <laughs> then me like, at the back, and then, then Fern and the, and, oh, and Aldi, Aldi's <laughs> at the back. Nah, nah. Um, on a
0: little plinth with some chairs. No,
1: it's mad. Like it's totally <laughs> nuts. And one of my my biggest heroes came yesterday to come see us as well hey. uh, a guy called Simon Aldred who was a singer of this band called Cherry Ghost well it was a it was a singer songwriter Um, the first two albums that Cherry Ghost released were like it was like 2007 and 2010 I was just a kid but my brother who's 10 years older than me and my dad they, they got me into Cherry Ghost when I was a kid Um, and yeah so like I, I adore this man he was, he, these albums are literally ridiculous but like it just kind of I mean for whatever reason it didn't like Go as big as it it should have done for him, but now he's like, he's like this like he's a singer songwriter that writes loads of songs for people and mm. he's like smashing it. He got he run an Ivan Novello for the song "People Help the People," which said, uh, "Do you remember? Um, what's your Birdie? She did that song. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He wrote that song, which is an incredible song. And then, um, and then also he did a uh, he's done all that stuff. Liam Gallagher's new one." Wow, um, that one—that one that, for what it's worth, the sorry tune.
0: And how's that then, knowing he's in the audience, well, someone that's inspired you? Yeah, that was and, yeah. it was
1: like that, that. That for me was like, I don't care what any sort of reviewer says, because there's a man that I really, really appreciate and really like. He's my hero, and he turned up, and he's a proper like working class trooper, though He's from like the same sort of background as me. He—he—he's he, he, from like Bolton. And, I'm I'm from North Shields, but albeit very sort of like working class towns. We got paired up by our my, my um, publisher. And he turned up to the show and came up beforehand and basically blew a load of smoke up my arse and I was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> then went out on stage, did the gig like full of like gusto, like, I'm going to go and give it. And then he came back out and, and come and had a beer after and he was just so, so wonderful. And uh,
0: wow.
1: So, yeah. I'm, I, what a I, special I'm, I, moment. And then I FaceTimed my dad to embarrass him because my dad's obviously a massive fan and my stepmother's a massive fan. That's
0: wicked. And
1: uh, so I, I FaceTimed them and all you could hear was Annie on the other side of the phone and my stepmom just going, ee! She was like, I'm starstruck. Can I believe it? My dad was just like, Oh, h- h- hello. I could see. My dad was like adjusting his accent. Oh, h- hello there. <laughs> his voice. <phone's laughs> because normally when he picks up, he's like, Hello, son. how's it going, But normally he was just like, He was like, Oh, h- hello, Simon. How it going? <laughs> he was like, Your your songs are absolutely incredible. That
0: is brilliant. Because my dad, oh. two
1: days ago prior, put on Facebook, went, this man's never wrote a bad song. <laughs> and I just thought, this is perfect. Oh,
0: I love it. So, I love yeah. your dad. Oh, What's your dad's sweet. name? Alan. Alan.
1: Big Al. Big Al.
0: Oh, Alan. I love you and your phone voice, Alan. That's made by day.
1: Uh, he used to do that. He used to pick up the phone and have a different voice. He was one of them. <laughs> He's like, dead Geordie, you'll be sitting at me and you'll be, like, be like, son, I fucking pack it in, right? And then he pick the phone up and go, hello, Alan Fender. <laughs>
0: Alan Fender is the best name as well. <laughs> Alan Fender. Alan Fender. Yeah, oh, funny. I love it. Well, um, before we get on to talking about... Your amazing music. I want to go like way, way back. So, when did you first pick up a guitar, and why? What was the, what was the motive uh, uh, behind that?
1: Well, well, me, me, my dad is—he's a musician. He's an electrician, he's jack of all trades, yeah. master of none. He's done everything. He worked. Oh, like, I was a happy accident. Late, sort of. I wasn't. My brother's ten years older than his, as I said. So my dad's a—he's an old boy. He's from like you know. He's he was gigging in the seventies with his band and stuff and like. Um, in his band Crash Willow,
0: yes, Alan. <laughs> I was like, was and it, Crash Willow?" I
1: was like, "Why was the band called Crash Willow?" And he's like, "I don't know. Just sounded good." <laughs> and I was just like, that was the seventies. That like, that was the seventies. Um, but yeah, he. he um he, so he like he'd played all the work in men's clubs and he had residencies in all of them so he was always gigging and being an electrician during the day or working in the rail yards where he first started and all that sort of stuff he left being an electrician and then he met this guy and started wanting to try and become a songwriter bless him um, but he is he's he wrote some decent stuff albeit cheesy pop stuff and he tried to like get into the Nashville market and they got this one song with this Nashville artist which didn't sell any albums but like but still I was like get into that's like, awesome go in. yeah and good he's, for him and he's still not fucking giving up like, he's going to go for it he's built his studio he's really good at like recording he's built a studio is dad's he's...
0: still doing his thing? <sighs>
1: He start he starting to do it. <laughs> he's starting to do it more now. I
0: love that. Even
1: like you see the other day, he he's like, honestly, son, he's like, I'm fucking riding off your coattails He's like, I'm gonna be using this. Like, he's like, this is me. he's like, this is my chance, man. Oh, Al, I he's love
0: class. your dad. I don't even know who he is. I bloody love, love Alan Fender. Everyone
1: loves Alan. Like, he's he's a good. How lad. could you not? What I'll do is I'll get Barry. Give us a load of stuff, and I'll maybe. Oh, I'll maybe sometimes I want to hear to Alan Fender so
0: bad. And and it just, would have been strange if you weren't a musician. Well, after. I, d- I didn't
1: really pay attention to it until I was about eight. I used to, I was just swinging me lights. Around like in the in the front room, like playing Star Wars. But my dad said he knew I was into music because he says when I was playing Star Wars on my own, he says I'd be doing the theme tune. I was playing my, like, <laughs> and I'd be like doing the all the all the orchestral music. Yeah, and he was wow. like there's something wrong with that lad. And then <laughs> and then I and then I so saw I picked up a guitar. Then and
0: did it feel quite natural at that point to play but, it? no nah, like I I just
1: kind of you know what it was. I was so shit at football at, in school, and I I come from like a. A very Geordie like footy family in my on my dad's side. Like my my granddad was a footy player at one point as his job, and that like paid for uh, for me. I mean, not like proper Premier League. They lived in a council estate, but like right. he, he he that paid the bills. He's
0: doing his thing, yeah.
1: And um, and so my my all my uncles were footy players. All my cousins were footy players. My dad was a footy player, like they all played, and then me and my brother were born, both with two left feet. Like Brilliant. the shittest footy players <laughs> on the planet. Like I'm the kind of kid that would just try and kick the ball, and it would be like over <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell was that? How is it gone there? But um, so yeah, I, I kind of, I just was never into any of that. So when you get into high school, like everyone, I feel like it's a, it, I, I needed that, I needed a thing. Mm. I didn't have a thing. Mm. Yeah, you know I mean. And all these kids, like, they're in their groups and, you know, they got the sporty kids and they got the kids that are doing that. And I was just kind of shit at school as well. And I just I didn't really know what I
0: So that was a real outlet for you, like, knowing that you you had this passion for music and that you could do it. Was... Well, I just
1: knew I liked music. Yeah. I knew I liked music and I could kind of sing because my dad was always singing and my brother was always singing. So it wasn't like... My house was a very, like... Singing wasn't, like, a weird thing to do. I mean, not like... We weren't, like, like theatre school fucking jazz hands. Yeah. Everyone like like... Oh, you know, what I mean, every bit. but
0: it was just around. But like, in your yeah, house. yeah, and yeah, like, so it
1: wouldn't, you wouldn't like, no one would like shoot a look at you in the house yeah, if you started yeah. singing. It would just be like, okay. Mm. So I was always singing there. My dad was always singing like mad soul songs, like proper like like Sam and Dave.
0: Wow, but yeah. while cooking, great. Being like,
1: Oh no and I'd be like, that's class. So I'd you know sing along with stuff like that, and like in Steely Dan, like loads of like mad jazz mm. rock stuff, and and um, so yeah, I, I, that that kind of it just became a natural thing. And then when I was thirteen. I'd sort of got guitar lessons and things like that and I was hooked and I knew when I was 13 that, like, this is what I'm doing.
0: So from that life. point, so, so when you start having lessons and you perhaps even subconsciously recognise that you've you've got a talent or you can do it and it's natural and, and you're going for it, it's one thing to, like, oh, this is a fun hobby, I like doing this, it makes me feel good, to honing that skill to the standard that you you were at when you were spotted by a mm. uh, brilliant manager. So... Why did you sort of feel like you had to put that work in? Was it just sort of an obsession, a, a drive that you just had inside you that you needed to to keep practicing and keep playing? It was the
1: I think it was the first thing that I, that I immediately saw results with. Like I, I I had the worst handwriting in school, couldn't really write. I was shit at maths. Couldn't play 40. <laughs> so I was like and then guitar and and music was the first thing that I had like an immediate thing of like, oh, this is good it's a good laugh and i and i got such satisfaction i remember learning smoke on the water on the e string like and it's like a piece of piss but I, in my head i was like i'm fucking pretty good at this <laughs> yeah. which it was shit like my in hindsight, yeah. Hindsight, yeah, hindsight I yeah hindsight looking at it i'm like that was that was mm. stupid but like I, I just had such satisfaction from yeah. from being able because i completed something on my own mm. and that prior to that i kind of the only thing i was kind of good at was drawing. i used to just sit and draw and my, my guitar teacher said this the other day to us. I'm going to squeeze this in because it was the sweetest thing ever. My old guitar teacher came to it because we built a studio up in North Shields. Would you need to come and see?
0: D- we want to do that. Yeah, That's yeah. next on the list. She'll definitely do it. Yeah.
1: Um, and he came along to see the studio the other day. And he said, he said, I always knew with you that you would do music he's like because when I taught you the pentatonic scale which is like these really boring guitar scales going like bum, 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 he says you had to make it musical so you'd go like dun, 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 like he said you always had to do <laughs> flourish so- yeah he says you would finish it and it was like he said it was almost like you were playing a song instead of doing like mm. a it's as opposed to the other kids who would go buh, 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 buh. you know like, like it was obviously like homework my dad yeah. had made them do it or something A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly
0: three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When was the first time you thought, you know what, I've been doing this in my bedroom and it sounds... I'm plucking that E string and it sounds good, but now I'm going to go and I'm going to do that in front of other people. How did you get that confidence to do that?
1: I was 13 and my brother, who was also a singer, he was he was playing in gigs and stuff and like starting his sort of singer-songwriter stuff. Um, my brother ha- had he was running buskers nights to get a bit of money, um, so he ran this buskers night in the Maggie Bank, which is just this like proper proper Shields boozer where like Linda's Fawn used to drink and stuff like that. Like Alan Hall, this like mad singer-songwriter from there, he used to get smashed in there. And I I went in went down for my first bus busker's like, night when I was about thirteen and and then also my my brother's band like he had like he had his his uh his original stuff but he also did like a wedding band function thing and as did my dad and stuff like that um so they were they would get up they would sometimes let us get up and just do like a blues guitar solo mm-hmm. or something over the top of like bloody Hey Joe or something <laughs> <laughs> like some Jimi Hendrix song or like or, or over the top of like some Zeppelin tune and I'd just be like just thrashing out. Then I had I like loved I I got Les Paul when my granddad died because he had, he left us like seven hundred quid, so I went and got this hand Les Paul because I loved like Jimmy Page and I was just like right I'm gonna gonna learn all like yeah. all the mad Zeppelin riffs so yeah. I, I kind of I started then and then did buskers nights and then I was going to buskers nights like every every week probably from thirteen to sort of seventeen.
0: And do you remember what that that feeling was the first time you stood in front of people and there was. A reaction of any sort or how it felt just to be in front of people playing and doing something you love so much
1: well I think it, it, it comes from I mean I, I enjoyed creating and playing on my own and then in, in my house and being like, oh my god, this is mint I can I can write a song. But then I guess there was that that was the the narcissist and has probably really enjoyed people going, "Wait, you know what I mean? and I Don't we all? And well, yeah, well of course, you know what I mean. <laughs> You're a liar if you say you don't. Mm. But I, so I was obviously loving a bit of the attention. I, I get my little uh, my little fix of that uh, every Wednesday night in the Maggie Bank, and then. And then the Bell and Bucket, which was another one. The Bell and Bucket was the pub that I started doing loads of buskers nights in because it was my cousin's uh, stag do. And me and my mate Joe went on when we were 14 and went in the Bell and on Bucket. On a stag do? Yeah, we went on wow. a stag do. But the, the, well, only for the beginning part, right. which started in the Bell and Bucket. Okay. And the Bell and Bucket was ran by the legend Maggie. She ran the Bell and Bucket for years and she's been drinking there for for years as well, she's always oh, smashed, <laughs> and um, and she was like, I-, I-, I walked in and I remember being like, I was sat there with Joel like, oh god, I was like how we're going to get served, like, we're 40, you know, and Joe was like, ah, oh. I was like, what do you want? He's like, I'll have a blue wicket. I was like, Well, will never get served asking for that. I like, so, so I was like... You need to give so, for so I went right up to the for bar and I slapped my hands down and I went, I'll have two speckled hen, please. <laughs> the
0: and upgrade from the we, blue wicket. We
1: didn't deviate from speckled hen because we thought that's the oldest drink we could think of. We're like, that's what an old man drink. If we drink speckled hen, she'll think I'm old. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's so probably she, 40 at so least. She's, yeah, exactly. If he's drinking
1: speckled hen, Jesus. So... So yeah, we sat and we drank speckled hen there and got served every week. Every week we went back, Brilliant. we still got served. So I was 14, saving up my dinner money at school, going like, I'm going to get cut of speckled hen oh. at the weekend, go and get absolutely smashed with Joe. And we went down there and, and was doing all these buskers nights. And then on my 18th birthday, turned up at the Bell and Booker four years after I would originally got served with my 18th birthday Patron, on. And Maggie just took my head off with the biggest <laughs> slap.
0: <laughs>
1: she was like, I could have lost my license, you little <laughs> bastard. Four years of speckled
0: <laughs> hen, damn uh, Four
1: years of speckled <laughs> hen to a underage. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's amazing. It was, it was hilarious. And then can you tell us about, um, I've read about this a lot, but I don't know firsthand what this experience was like when you met your manager. So he he saw you... In, in one of these venues,
1: You saw us in the low lights. So okay. I started working in the low lights shortly after that. That time, um, I basically I, I finished I went and did my A levels. Well, I, I went and butchered my A levels. I completely <laughs> fucked them up. Same. Uh, yeah, I, I just
0: I did one. I think by one. I
1: got that, by the time I finished high school, I did reasonably well in my GCSEs because my English teacher believed in us. I couldn't write for Toffee, but she sort of you know, she saw that. I did an oral exam on Frankenstein and she said she was like you speak like an A star student but she was like you write like a complete idiot so then she made us stay back after school and do a load of that and do a load of writing and then actually got us up to A's in my English in the end so then I went and did English in my A levels because I actually became interested in writing and that's how I ended up writing songs and stuff because of her really she was properly we properly love wonderful. that teacher yeah she's a wonderful Miss Brace she's called now but she was called Miss Kel back then so yeah went and did my A levels butchered them yeah. came out of that worked in a pub because I didn't really um I didn't really know what I was doing and I remember like I was working there doing the buskers and things like that getting pissed and uh, I had this boss behind the bar called John O'Keefe he was the owner of the pub at the time uh, who looks like Winston Churchill and sounds like Winston Churchill <laughs> Was um, it Winston Churchill? No it wasn't no, it was John Winston O'Keefe Churchill. but he's like, he's like the Geordie Winston Churchill He's wow. like, he's like really kind of like you know Slightly on the on the on the cusp of being quite fraudulent with his business, and and you've been in the papers for for ripping off the breweries and that, the front <laughs> page of the Chronicle like coming out of the out of the courts like brilliant. Um, and he was just like hilarious. He was absolutely hilarious. He used to just tell us loads of mad stories when he used to work in London. He was like, I used to get a pile of CVs, and I would just pick up half of them and chuck them in the bin and go, and then what are you doing that for? I'd go, they're the unlucky ones. <laughs> oh and he's, like, he's just total mad. But yeah, he, um, he, he at the time knew who owen was my manager and owen had just won uh they just won two brit awards with ben howard um and he came back to celebrate and see his uh see his family and his friends and he walked in the pub at the time which like it sounds like a disney story because i was genuinely like how the fuck am i gonna get this off the ground like i want to write songs i want to be in a band but there's not really that much industry in newcastle there's generator and like apart from that this this fuck all really um, and then everything, the venues and the scenes and the bands are good. There's plenty of good, interesting, yeah. like talented musicians, which I will name a festival a parade: Brooke Bentham and um, the Pale White. Uh, <laughs> there, there's three that I know. Of. Um, and there's there's loads of talented people, but there's just not really the the, the industry or the or the, the means to kind of get people out. Yeah, yeah. It becomes this yeah. kind of bubble that that everyone gets trapped in. Really, it's a very claustrophobic. And yeah, so he walks in, and and John O'Keefe, who normally used to. I used to get bollocks for playing guitar. Um, I was always like playing the guitar, when I should have been serving, pulling pints. And he was like, oh, "He's like, go get your guitar out to the corner, boy." And he was like, <laughs> "And you called this stupid boy?" That was my name. Like, nice. He, he used to every morning out. You would like twatters across the head with like a rolled up newspaper, and he'd be like, "Stupid boy!" And then he'd be like, "Go downstairs and go shift some of them ale barrels." <laughs> he was like, "You're useless on the bar. It's better to get you off anyway." And I was just like, "Useless." Or oh, he'd have his chopping wood or some shit like that. And then, uh, and he made us sat down. And, Play me guitar and play me tunes, and then Owen, this like pissed dude with a with a with a cap, came over and like curly hair, and he was like, he was like, oh, he's like, God, you got a good voice. Have you got any uh, solo tunes? And have you got any originals? And I was just like, uh, yeah, yeah. So I started playing some really, um, really shit embryonic tune that I wrote like seven years ago, and and he saw something in it, um, wow. which which like. We, I genuinely looking back with hindsight, I don't know how he saw this in that because I wouldn't have saw that in me back then, but he did, and I'm uh, forever, forever grateful and in debt to him for for picking us up and taking us out of dodge.
0: I love that moment. I love those sorts of stories. I love that moment. I just think it's it's total fate, isn't it? It's, it's, it's fate. It A was week later, he had us me. down here
1: and uh, and had us. Uh, doing some like little recordings with um at the time it was Be- uh, Ben Howard's guitarist at the time a guy called Bear and I was doing stuff with him and uh, yeah it was mad I ate some bang bang chicken in Camden Market and shit myself in front of him um, so yeah and, uh, what an initiation and he, and he said he said after that he just knew he was like he knew that it was right after I right. shit myself he was like that's good he was like, he was like I knew there was something special about it <laughs> As I, as I was crab walking out the door, going like, oh God.
0: And you've never been back to Camden uh, Market and since.
1: Yeah, it's was, was pretty like, we got so the embarrassing wonderful. stuff out the way with, I, Good. Think, I think we got very close after that because yeah, you just yeah. thought this kid's a complete hoot, like what is wrong Eyes with him? Ice
0: broken, completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you never know a man until you've shot yourself in front of him. You know I mean?
0: It's very true, it's very yeah. true. And don't feel like you need to do that. I'm not going here, to, because we're really, I'm, I'm, everything's going fine. I'm, I'm, I'm great, so you know. yeah,
1: don't, no, don't worry. I, I, haven't, I haven't shot myself since 2013. Fantastic so it's, it's news.
0: Yeah. Um, that first EP is very special. I don't know because... why I told that song. <laughs> it's too late now. Oh, I'm fucked. Um, why did I do that? Because, you know, being a new artist, you could produce an EP or album about anything you want. You know, it's a free for all, whatever is you know, burning inside of you that you need to release and have that sort of catharsis with your music. Um, you can choose whatever route, but you chose quite a specific route to start off with that first EP. You know, obviously it's beautifully made, it's produced beautifully, each song is structured perfectly, but the the undertone, like the sort of the lyrics are of a personal darker nature yeah. for you and and hold a story very much linked to where you're from so yeah. especially the 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 title track dead boys could yeah. you tell us sort of why you felt like you you needed to write about that subject and if you could shed some light on that as well first
1: so yeah i mean that the ep is 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 very much um it was very much apart from sort of pound shop kardashians that was more of like a just some sort of like rant really um but the the other tunes were very much intrinsically sort of about where I'm from and and what was going on at the time. Um, Dead boys, I lost a friend to suicide a year before. Um, before I kind of I wrote it like straight after, pretty much. But didn't really know. It was more just about the shock. It wasn't a kind of about anything. It wasn't like trying to find some sort of answer or, or, or explanation. It was it was genuinely just about the feeling. That, of that abject like confusion and, and 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 uh and helplessness i think you know when you when you do lose a friend um because as well like he was he was the, probably one of the most selfless blokes i've ever met in my entire life and i actually wrote a few of my songs in his in his uh in his greenhouse he's an older guy um and he uh his 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 wife as well. I was very close to who who's there. Who helped me through a lot of like, uh, st- stuff that I was dealing with uh, medically at the time when I was like twenty. I had like a, a condition and um, and so I wrote a lot of stuff there and and, kind of. I think there's a, there's a bit of the guilt as well that when you 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 don't know that you you didn't know what was going through their head. Um, there's so there's a line at the beginning of the prelude. Um, there's this like, uh, the, the opening prelude before dead boys kicks in. And it's, um, it's just cause it's just, I'm firing on three cylinders. If only I knew what you meant. And it was actually the last thing he said to my friend, Richie, wow. uh, before, before he took his life. Uh, he was like, oh, Richie said, oh, how are you doing? He went, oh, I'm firing on three cylinders. And Richie just didn't think anything of it. And obviously that just, he just meant, oh, I'm not, I'm not fully right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it was just, it happened. It was all very sudden. And then after that, um, another friend that we knew someone who I wasn't mega mega close to but I, I've known him for a long time because he was kind of one of the it's, it's a small town everybody kind of knows each other and he was actually very close to my manager my manager was very close to, to this other guy who he took his life as well uh, in the same year and then there was another kid who I knew from who was around our friends group circle who was a younger lad. There was a 23-year-old 20, lad who did it. And then there was two brothers in Blythe who within a week of each other. So the younger brother took his life and the older brother took his life mm. a week mm. after. And it was just... Obscene, like it was. There was a lot of. Uh, I think when you're exposed to something like that, you become more sensitive to it. So therefore, I started, I started being more aware of the suicides that were, were going on around, around my hometown. And then I looked up. I, I wrote the song by this point. Then I wrote, uh, looked up the the, the, the stats and um, saw that it, you know it's the biggest killer of men under forty five in the UK, uh,
0: which is a horrific to, and shocking yeah, statistic. Eighty four a week. Yeah, well, we, we you know how. It's so hard to process that sort of information and mm. and um to try and find a solution or ways of that being a lesser number because yeah. no one wants to know that that's the case and that so many men feel that desperate that yeah. they that's the only option for them
1: well and i, I think it it comes from that that age old sort of stiff up my lip thing that we've got going on which yeah, i, I I've, I've I've kind of learned. Probably because of my friend and and because of them situations like the importance of 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 talking. Um, I think me and my manager have we've had a lot of like sort of uh, there's been a, quite a lot of uh, it's been a big a big learner you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I wrote that and I was very hesitant uh, hesitant to, to release it because I, I didn't want to uh, capitalize on a, on a tragedy or you know or, or be seen as like you know using using something awful to to gain some sort of. Uh, musical success out of I didn't wanna didn't want to do that. So I I spent a lot of time kind of dilly dallying about like going, do I do it or do I release it? And then um and then I played it to our inner circle and and of friends and everybody was just kinda of like, ah this is this is a good tune and, and it and it and it, it, it's not ranty and it's not it's only got like two lines in it. You know what I mean? It's it's very much just about like it's it's just about the feeling mm. of being like this is it's a fucking tough one and and it, it needs to be spoken about. And so many mad things have happened since the release of that song. Like the amount of people that have come forward and spoke about, um, spoke about what the, you know their 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 experiences. Or some people are saying that they you know that they, that they've you know turned themselves around and that the song is sort of like it's it, it's it's been cathartic. and you know, I mean so
0: that's massive. This too. one, this
1: one guy. We got an email from this guy for Five Live from uh, you know, I Was like he forwarded us this email. Because we, I did. I went on live. I went on live into Dead Boys with uh, with him, and, and we had a chat about about all this sort of stuff. And there was a bloke who was like basically driving on his way to go and kill himself, um, and had five live on, <laughs> and he heard it and stopped the car and said that he just cried for like three hours. And this this mad email that's like oh so God, intense. I then. mean,
0: I feel like freaking crying hearing that. Yeah, isn't
1: And then he turned around and 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 went and got help and and basically just sent this email to 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 Neil and then he forwarded it to me and then he came up to us last night and he was just like oh he's like it's it's so insane he's like this guy's like t- completely turned his oh, life around and he's shit. now he's getting help and he's getting support and and um so I was like cuz you know what it is like god you, almighty Sam, you can't that's like just mad you can't ever um I'm never ever going to uh overestimate that the the clout of my job I'm not like you know you know when musicians were primarily entertainers we're not coming up with cancer cures we're not saving people on a regular basis you know I we're not doing things to like that are necessarily like mega positive and cha- or changing the world you know what I mean and I'm never going to be one of those people as I'm on some sort of fucking crusade to some troubadour that's going to come and save the planet because I'm not like and that's not what our job is but when a song connects like that mm. with with a load of people and creates a conversation and has these little moments where people it, it actually affects people's lives um it, it really it's really humbling and and kind of reminds us why i'm like why i'm doing it you know what i mean or why i want to keep doing it yeah you
0: know? mm. i mean that is so remarkable um I mean, I'm completely blown away by that. And, I knew, you know, from what I'd read, I knew that your music had been a huge solace and help to people, but to hear, you know, a direct case of one human who essentially have saved his life with your music, and I know you, you don't want to go into that nah. whole... I'm just intending whatever but you know it is there is the power of music and there's something so special in that and and what you create and how that reaches people if anything
1: it's the power of the conversation Mm, really it's more like it's the fact that we were speaking about it I think is like we were talking about it on a live radio show and talking about how how blokes feel this inability to talk Mm. and some guy heard that and saw that as a cue to talk and I think that is is the, the thing that I took away from it is that like this was a conversation that needed to be to, to to be spoken about, and it mm. needs to be. We need to speak about it more clearly.
0: I know you've sort of almost accidentally fallen into that kind of space because you were, you know, sort of hesitant slash reticent to even release that song in the first place. Yeah. But you've now realised what a huge help you being honest about that experience has done. Yeah. Do you now feel compelled to sort of stay in that space and 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 keep using your voice in that way?
1: I, I, you know what it is. I, I I'm not going to put pressure on myself to 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 do anything in particular, I'm going to write my music and uh, if I've got something to say, which most of the time I don't have anything to say, I've just got questions to ask. Like, I'm never really going like, this is what we should do, fuck the Tories, you know what I mean? It's not like that. It's just kind of like, most of the time I'm just... uh, I'm I'm 24. I'm asking questions. I'm trying to figure out. I'm growing up. I'm I'm becoming a, a young a young man, and I'm I'm just trying to figure it all out myself. So I'm never going to be you know condescending or come up with some sort of fucking song that says I've got any answers for anything because I don't. So if I do have anything in a song, or if, I've, if I'm writing about it, it's it's genuinely more just asking questions.
0: But I think that's so important because um, the asking question bit also plays into. Feeling like you can freely speak about things and ask questions and mm. not feel uh, ashamed, foolish, or whatever for saying, "Wait a minute, I, I really don't understand this about life," which yeah. none of us do. None of yeah. us have the answers or no. No, no. And I think actually presenting that in a song is more helpful than a remedy or a solution. It's yeah. just putting those questions out that everybody else is also pondering on and confused about, yeah. and, and that's a nice. I think that's that's exactly how, how I in. want
1: it to be. Mm. I'm kind of just letting people. I'm letting people know that. I, I don't have the answers, but I, I, I want it to be good, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean, like.
0: So, what sort of subject matters are you talking about on your first record? Because I know you've kind of you've, you've literally just finished wrapped up on that, right? It, it's kind of,
1: I think it's everything from like, you know what it is. I think I think that it, it, most of it is it, it's it's coming from me. It's coming from from my sort of my my, my early twenties and late teens. Um, so there's songs on it like. There's hypersonic missiles, which was again that sort of confusion of being like in a world that you can't really explain. um, But but kind of like seeing some sort of hope and being like, look, I'm gonna have a good laugh and whatever the fuck, whatever way our country goes, you know what I mean? I'm I'm gonna try and enjoy my life and and it's got that kind of youthful innocence about it. I think there's lines in it, so it's like it's like all the silver-tongued suits and cartoons that rule my world are saying it's a high time for hypersonic missiles. And a hypersonic missile was this thing that I read in the paper at the day and it's been it's been in the news recently. And essentially, Russia accidentally some scientist leaked this. Um, this missile that Russia have, which travels at two kilometers a second and can't be shot down by American satellite defense systems, so everyone's panicking. Like Russia are going to destroy the world again, yeah. but it's just like Cold War, constant on repeat. Like since since the since the when it started, I was me just kind of reading the paper, going like "fuck me, hypersonic missile." That's a bit of like jargon in my world. Mm. <laughs> but it's just so weird. Mm. Um, so I, I I wrote about that kind of that kind of it's that it's a Cold War esque sort of fear of like of the apocalypse. But it's a bit tongue in cheek. Like I'm not obviously. I don't think the world's gonna end. But there's a line in that that goes, "This world is gonna end." But until then, I'll give you everything I've got. And then a burst into this like Bruce Springsteen style saxophone solo. Yes. And it's like really cheesy but awesome. <laughs> um, that song is the statement. Yeah. That I'm going like I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. So I'm not gonna try and you know pretend that I do. And then the rest of the album after that is a mixture of social commentaries of, of of the young generation Z age and in, in social media and mm. it's it's uh, effects on 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 our uh, on our fucking yeah. on, on our heads and then the Which and then needs the rest we talked about a and, then lot. Of, and then some and then some of them are and then, and then some of the other songs are just very much personal songs about kind of my hometown and about um some about domestic violence uh, some about neighbors some about um some about landlords that I can't stand. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's just a, it's a it's a it's mm. a very classic debut album in the sense that it's not about one thing. Yeah, there's a lot of different flavors. I think it offers a, a kind of a, a broad spectrum of things. It shows kind of it shows the development over the last five years because there's songs on there that I wrote five years ago, and then there's a song on there that I wrote four weeks ago mm. that made the album just last minute. Love which I'm that. really excited for you to hear as well.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I literally can't wait to hear this album. Um, like you say, you know, some have been written a long time ago and you have that like last minute song pop in. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're songwriting, is it quite a quick process? Like does a good song just sort of materialise or, or does it? Or, it you know, like with Dead Boys, for instance, obviously that started with a real feeling and something mm-hmm. that you know you couldn't escape that yeah. is pure grief that you're dealing with with a song like that do you know do you just start with that feeling and see what happens how does it sort of evolve
1: uh I, it depends for me because sometimes i'll start with a melody and i'll or i'll be you know i'll be pottering about on the piano like i was before uh or on the guitar and i'll come up with some sort of you know chord progression and i'll have a melody over the top of that and i'll go ah oh, that's really that's a really nice melody so i'll write something into that but as of late it's kind of been more lyrics first i've been kind of writing poetry because i find that if i write lyrics first i don't have to um i don't have to shoehorn words into a melody that i can't fit cuz like if you if you know you might only have like sort of room for six words if you yeah, if you've already yeah. made the melody so i just sort of write the lyrics and then i've got then then i will just make it i'll make it work and then, um, but the but but yes, yeah, some some of them fall out the sky. Like some of them, genuinely, d- it does feel like they've been gifted to you. Uh, mm. Like leave fast fell out the sky. Oh, I love that song so much. That that came like that. Literally, just I was I was sat in my mum's flat and just went, Bum, and almost like started singing it as if I'd already wrote it. It was really weird. Um, Dead boys was a very instant instant one, and so was hypersonic missiles as well.
0: I'm so fascinated in that because I've been lucky enough to interview so many musicians over the years, and I. I am not musical in the slightest, hence why I ended up very much sort of talking about music because I'm obsessed by it, but I can't do it. Mm. So I'm fascinated by that process of that sort of channeling and it is almost otherworldly. Like you say, it it just appears. and I, the, the alchemy in that I just am completely sort of in awe of. I find it peculiar because I can't you know, access that myself. I'm just constantly fascinated by what that must feel like just for this song to sort of appear.
1: It's it's pretty... It's it's wonderful that I kind of I've always used it as a form of therapy, and I know it's very very cliche. It's a very sort of it's a classic platitude that all songwriters say. Like I I write for my therapy and you know, It's <laughs> but it is. I'll it yeah. I, 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 I write if I'm feeling shit. I'll write a song. If I'm feeling great, I'll write a song. You know, if I'm feeling anything that's worth feeling, then I'll I'll sit and pick my guitar up and sit on the piano and and try and make something of it because mm. uh, you've got to bottle up them moments. I think even the even the sad ones as well because you, you learn you learn from them and if you can turn it into something nice and something pleasant mm. then then it's uh it's even better isn't it
0: well you've so done that and as i say that ep is just magnificent and i cannot wait thank to you. to hear that first album so thank you so much thank for your you so time much, it's been just so lovely yes yeah,
1: wonderful thank you so much mate
0: Wow, I mean, what a future Sam Fender has. Thank you so much, Sam. I really enjoyed that. You properly made me laugh. And that debut album, Hypersonic Missiles, is available in August. I really can't wait to get that. Honestly, I love his music so much. You could probably tell from that episode of me wanging on about it anyway. Now, next week, in a slight change of pace, oh, we meet Mary Berry. Many of the chefs who I admire enormously Use so many different ingredients, and you're left with a bit, and it stays on the shelf uh, um, like a juniper berry. You would use it once in two years. And uh, you you wonder what you're going to do with it. Oh, Mary or Mary Cherry, as my kids call her, which is rather cute. Get that episode as soon as it drops when you subscribe. Do it through your podcast app of choice. Or if you like, you can ask to listen to Happy Place on your Amazon Echo, Google Home or Siri device. Give it a go. It's quite fun, actually. Thanks again to Sam, to the producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you, brilliant souls, for listening. I massively, massively appreciate it. I'll see you next week.